Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello there, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid, transporting you back in time nine days to a quiet, pleasant Sunday afternoon. Please, make yourself at home. Would you care for tea? I just replenished my mug here, and it's too hot to drink. So, let's carry on to the next science fiction offering for the August issue. The title of the story is Love Might Be Too Strong a Word, written by Charlie Jane Anders. Stories read for you by Hilary Huber. Charlie Jane Anders is the managing editor of io9.com and the organizer of the long-running Writers with Drinks reading series. Her writing has appeared in Tor.com, Mother Jones, the San Francisco Chronicle, the McSweeney's Joke Book of Book Jokes, and Ziziva, among other places. She published a novel called Choir Boy, co-founded an indie magazine called Other Magazine, and co-edited an anthology of first-person female geek stories called She's Such a Geek. She also won the Emperor Norton Award for Extraordinary Invention and Creativity Unhindered by the Constraints of Paltry Reason. Well, that does it for this week's intro, so without further ado, let's make the jump to light speed. Love might be too strong a word. By Charlie Jane Anders Here's how I remember it. A touch shocked me. I was reaching for a flash-seared bog oyster, and then a fingertip, softer than I'd ever felt, brushed my knuckle. The softness startled me so much, it took me a moment to realize the hand had seven fingers, three more than mine. Beheld a striped cloth in her other hand. I came up with the correct pronoun by instinct, even before my mind took in the fact that a pilot was touching my hand. Holy shit, a pilot! I turned, besmiled at me, mouth impossibly small, eyes panoramic and limpid, so beautiful I wanted to choke. You dropped this, B said. My bandana looked so foreign in her fingers, I almost didn't recognize it. And then B tied it around my neck, so gently I couldn't help shivering. Those fingers. And then it opened. Just a tiny dilation, but I almost had to lean against the cafeteria table. Everyone in the universe was watching. I knew, without reaching around, that there was a teeny wet spot on the small of my back. Until that moment, I'd barely ever thought about my heart, the little hole just above my tailbone. It was just there. It had never opened on its own, much less gotten wet. And nobody had ever touched it, of course. And now, somehow, it knew. My heart closed again, but it didn't make as tight a seal as before. Or at least it felt restless. It was going to bother me. Right now, it was all I could think about. The pilot had finished tying my bandana, but kept looking at me. 
You're so lovely, B said to me. What's your name? Mab. I managed to avoid stammering. Short for Mabarel. B smiled. I'm Dot. And then B bowed and left me to face the stares of my fellow dailies. Here's how they tell it. Ah, love, mystery confounding. Oh, lovers, your size, the dark matter that limbs our course. Who can understand the ways of love, ever cruel, ever bountiful? Not the Boyds, not the Breeders, not even the Spirers, with their countless eyes and base 27 calculations. Dot Low Manoret, honored third-level pilot of the city, known for burgallantry and aplomb, was never word-lost. Until the day be wandered down to the daily canteen, and Burr eyes fell upon the surpassing loveliness of Mabarel, most radiant of all the dailies. In that instant, Dot's heart fell into Mabarel's pocket, and Dot's eyes, which had encompassed interstellar space, now had one vista only. Lost was Dot, lost forever, to the love of Mabarel. A chasm wider than the inner axis separated these two lovers, one from the highest dar, the other from the lowest. Pity poor Dot and Mabarel, their love against all society's norms, their furtive meetings stolen from the moments between their far separate undertakings. Theirs must be a fleeting happiness, but how bright the afterimage. Love, why do you torment us so? Why must we pine so far from our cluster and from our new homeworld? Is happiness a mere whisper on the edge of daydreams? Why, love, why? But love, as ever, disdains to answer. Our tears must be question and answer both. Love, love is all they ever talk about, and I've avoided it like the unshielded areas where the outringers work. The stupid, stupid courtship. The crappy poetry, the singing, the dream liminals, they consume our lives when we're not working, and usually even when we are. It's a miracle the city hadn't spun off course into an oort cloud long ago. But really, it's true. The city runs on love. It keeps us sane, more or less. Unlike the dark matter that flows into our massive converters, it's an infinitely renewable fuel. As to whether it pollutes... You probably already have your own opinions about that. Right after the bandana incident, my sibs started treating me differently. Mab, I heard Bee kissed you, that darling little mouth. Mab, isn't Bee beautiful? Oh, of course Bee's beautiful. Sometimes they teased. Mab's going to be a pilot's mate. Mab, what's your secret? Did you steal a holo shield? I know for a fact that a few of the other dailies have been with pilots, but furtively, in dark song booths or under laundry decks. One daily even tried to sneak me a bubble of some noxious substance. I was supposed to squirt it onto my heart to make it more pleasant to dot when be manned me, as if I would ever let that happen. Because we clean the entire city, handle the waste units, and supply the food, dailies go everywhere. The lower middle dars, the Boyds and the Outringers, romance us sometimes. The upper middle dars, occasionally. But no pilot had ever romanced a daily, 
as far as any of us remembered, until now. I figured a few days would pass, then the stupid talk would stop and the other dailies would go back to being my friends and letting me finger them in their bunks when nobody was looking. Then the poem showed up. Typical courtship crap. Dot tight-beamed it to my handle, but forgot to encrypt it, which means everybody in the city saw it before I did. No food can I taste. My course corrections go awry. I falter in everything, dreaming of your touch. Oh, my Burrell, your dot will die without you. In other words, woman to me, or I'll send the city a fraction off course and we'll all die in starless space. And that's supposed to be romantic? At that point, I was doomed. They all took turns reading it and squealing. My so-called best friend, Idra, kept hugging me and jumping up and down until I wanted to smack him. Mab, it's so beautiful. It's like something from a sugar box holo. Oh, yeah, it's great. I didn't even try to sound excited. It's weird. I would have given anything for the other dailies to stop being ashamed of me. Even when they let me finger all their holes after lights out, they wouldn't look at me. They were always trying to introduce me to some dashing Boyd so I could woman like everybody else. Ever since we left the cluster, they kept trying to fix me. Now, for the first time, they were proud of me, and I wanted to die. I don't woman. I just don't. Oh, I have the involuntary responses just like everybody else. When I meet a particularly stout outringer, my ruhr feels a little itchy. I make a habit of wearing a scarf when I clean the outringer's quarters so they won't see anything. But I just don't like the idea. A couple of days after the poem, Dot turned up again. Oh, B didn't come over and say hi like a normal person, of course not. Instead, B turned up in the cafeteria where we'd first met, perched on top of the air shaft on Bernese. B had all fourteen fingers on a big flaranelle and was playing some dirgy shanty while moaning about how Berhart was imploding for the love of me. B wore an outfit with a million laces and buckles, maybe just to remind me just how clever Burfingers were. I wanted to turn and run back to the dailies' hab areas, but my sibs all grabbed me and cried all over my favorite quicksuit. I had to stay and listen to the whole fucking thing. Doc couldn't sing to save her life. After that, I was the Daily's greatest romantic hero ever. When was I going to send a poem back? When would I acknowledge Dot's suffering? The next day, I was on my hands and knees scrubbing the Boyd segment. They always claim our knees and backs are genetically engineered to make us better scrubbers. They're filthy liars. Or at least it's not enough. I hate cleaning up after the Boyds, who track all sorts of crap from the power units. At least I don't have to clean the power units themselves, since my body isn't designed to withstand those forces the way the Boyds are. Anyway, I was crawling around, trying to clean up some stuff that I didn't even want to think about. I heard some motion behind me, and scuttled around to see a Boyd staring at where my ass had just been. At first, 
I thought Poe wanted to sexually harass me, which is what the Boyds usually want when I'm working. Dailies, like me, are pretty much the only dar the Boyds can man. They woman to the pilots, the outringers, and the breeders. I've heard the Boyds can man the spirers, too, but it probably doesn't happen much. I had a great love once, the Boyd said, and I let them slip away, and I've never forgiven myself. Oh, great. Romance advice. All of a sudden, I wished the Boyd would just grope me. I could tell Poe wanted to, from the matching bulges on either side of poor hip bones, but no. We're in space for countless decades, but in all that time you may only get one chance at a great love, Poe said. Just because you blew off some dumb breeder once doesn't mean you get to give me advice. I looked poor over, a little less squat and greasy than most Boyd's, but still a solid brick of muscle and radiation-resistant hide, but nimble, the way you have to be if you manipulate the city's power grid. The breeders and the pilots are different from you and me, Poe said. They have higher concerns, loftier thoughts. When they train that light on us, it can feel like we're going to burn up. But it's the closest to real meaning, to glory we can get. Normally, the Boyds treat us as if we're way beneath them. It's only in comparison to a pilot that Poe and I could become we. Or, if Poe wanted to man me, we might be we for an hour or two. And Poe did want me. Those twin bulges don't lie. Thanks for the advice, I said. I feel loftier already. Don't laugh it off. When love comes... You have to blah, blah, blah. Poe kept it up for the next hour or so while I scrubbed and scraped. There are cleaning machines, of course, but they don't do such a great job with the really nasty stains, and the spirers are too busy doing exalted things to upgrade them. It went on like that, people giving me advice. Worse, the other dailies wouldn't let me touch them anymore after lights out. Mab, we let you touch us when there's nothing better around, Idra told me while we waited to step into the bathing tubes. But a pilot? I mean, don't you think you should save yourself? For what? I asked. But then the tubes opened and we stepped in, to fall through a tunnel where water and then super-compressed air sprayed us. I've heard the pilots and spirers have baths. I could never get tired of seeing Idra naked. Even though I've bathed with Yim so many times now, and touched Yim in your bunk. Even though Idra drove me nuts with your crushes, and your face pastes, and your romance dream liminals, ye kept me sane. I didn't know what I'd do if I couldn't talk to Idra. Maybe I even loved Yim. A little. We'd met back in the cluster, when we were both training for this voyage. Idra and I had been grown for this mission but we still had to train and prove ourselves. Basic safety stuff, mostly, since the city can't replace us if we get ourselves killed out here. Idra was the only other one, besides me, in our class, who'd asked about other stuff, like how the city navigated and how the power grid worked, or failed to sometimes. I'd started hanging out with Idra all the time between classes, 
and we'd laugh at the silly questions some of the other dailies asked about how to get face paste in the city. I'd thought Yir and I would always share everything until the city launched and ye fell in love for the first time with an outringer. Ever since then, it was one crush after another, putting Idra in an elliptical orbit away from me, and then back to me when it fell apart. I'd mostly gotten used to it. You know, I told Idra when we were dressing afterwards, there are only two reasons people are so love-crazy around here. Because the only children in the city are the dormant embryos in the breed pots waiting for planet fall. And because... It helps us forget we're stuck at the bottom of the heap forever. If you talk to Dot like that, Beale drop you like a used snot catcher, Idra told me. Ye had a warning look in your eyes and mouth, but your nose wrinkled the way it always did when I made Yim laugh. That's a good idea, I said. Maybe I'll try that. Actually, here was my problem. I wanted to say no to Dot. But B never gave me a chance. B never even asked me if I wanted to pair bond with Burr or go live in the pilot quarter or whatever. B just kept sending little crystal cameos, serenading me from a safe distance, paying other dailies to make little delicacies for me. A pilot wouldn't know how to cook to save Burr life. B never came close enough for me to respond. And yet, I was cruel. I was coy. I tormented Dot, or so Dot claimed, and so the balladeers announced to the whole city. I was killing a pilot, one of only five hundred in the whole city, with my coldness. Had anyone ever been as cruel as me? In the entire history of the city, and the cluster before that? Speaking of which, I was famous enough now that my sibs back in the cluster were going to hear about this. I don't get it. I told Idra. What am I supposed to do anyway? When B threw all those bright cat silk bandanas down to me from the upper walkway, I tried to avoid catching them, but you guys grabbed them for me. How am I supposed to respond? Write back, Idra said. Write a poem, or if you can't manage that, a regular letter. I'll tight beam it for you. You don't even have to write it yourself. I'll write it for you. Oh, Idra. I never wanted to be you, but I always wanted to be with you. I certainly never wanted you to be me. Can I write a letter asking him to leave me alone? It'll just make Burr try harder, or maybe Bill go away permanently, throw Burrself into the Boyd's radiation zone. You can't trifle with love, Mab. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. Love is unstoppable unfathomable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love. Got it. I have no idea how long Dot could have gone on courting me, showering me with tears from those massive eyes. I took the initiative. I sent Dot a message telling Burr to meet me in one of the song booths in the dailies quarter, where my sibs go to have furtive sex with other Dars. Dot wrote back, a dozen sonnets filled with leaping jubilation that I would hear Burr suit in person. But couldn't we meet someplace more romantic? Someplace more beautiful? There were some lovely little restaurants in the pilot quarter. 
I knew that, since I'd worked in their kitchens. Or we could sail a skimmer around the edge of the outring, on Dalfur cushions, with a flaranel trio playing to us. Sorry, I wrote back. You come to me, or no meeting. I booked a song booth and paid for it myself. Instead of some schlocky flaranel music, I ordered up a couple hours of the most raucous slash and grab, the stuff they're always threatening to ban. I got there early, so I'd be sitting with my feet up when Dot got there. I'll let you pretend you've never been inside a song booth. Basically, they're coffin-shaped, with a bench running lengthwise and a big screen overhead showing patterns or dumb holo stories. Big speakers at either end. Unless you're really tall, you can just about sit on the bench if you scoot down, but eventually it becomes easier to lay on it lengthwise, which is what it's really there for. Nobody ever goes there to listen to music and watch pretty colors, unless they're really, really dumb. Dot had feathers all over Burr's slender body. There are no birds in the city, of course, and I'd never even seen a bird. But I'd cleaned up feathers and had a chance to examine them. They're synthetic but intricate, with little strands that catch the light. I hadn't seen Dot up close since our first meeting. I'd forgotten quite how delicate and lovely Bee was, how elegant those little bones. I wasn't prepared for the sudden awakening of my heart and the tightness inside my stomach. Oh, Mab, oh, my Mabarel, you do so much kindness to my poor faltering heart. Dot had obviously memorized tons of this crap. Shut up and listen, I said. I've figured out why you're doing this. There is no reason other than your beauty, which so dazzles my eyes that all other sights are cataracted to me. I said, shut up, and sit down, you're making me nervous. I gestured at the greasy cushion next to me. So here's what I think. You're doing this for attention. You were losing status, or playing some pilot game that the rest of us don't even grasp, and you decided to make yourself the hero in some epic love story. The pilot, who fell in love with a daily against all odds. They'll sing about you forever, if you don't get thrown out of the upper rings for sullying your honor. It's a gamble, but you're a shrewd one. Am I right? Oh, my Mabarel, your wisdom is second only to your beauty, which far surpasses the brightest jewels. But no, you're wrong. There's no purpose to my love other than love itself— and no cure for my love other than your love returned to me. I was afraid you'd say that. Okay, let's go. I'll do you right here. But I... that's not what I... If it'll end this. Come on, get all those feathers off you. I've never seen a pilot naked. I'm curious. And I was curious. It's weird that pilots are the opposite of dailies, but most of us never get to see what they look like under their fancy ruffles. I helped Dot out of Burr five layers of clothing, and slowly, Burr body revealed itself. Be stared at me, terrified, as I ran my hands over Burr. Naked, Dot was even more gorgeous than dressed. I couldn't stop swallowing. B was all long sinews and soft skin, Burbati was much the same shape as mine or any other human, but slender where mine was stout, 
and B had all those extra appendages where I only had holes. What does this one do? I pointed to a long vine that curled out from Dot's sternum. It's a... It's my zood for manning a spirer. They have an opening on that part of their bodies just for pilots called the dues. It takes three days, and there are fifteen required positions. It went on like that. The three bony prongs sticking out just below Burr's stomach were for manning a breeder, and Burr's thighs had matching lumps, which could expand to man an outringer. No matter what your dar, Dot had a way to man you, just like I could woman to all the other dars. Don't you want to see my, uh, my thorn? Dot gestured to Burlower back, where the outie that matched my innie was quivering with excitement. B started to turn around, but I stopped Burr. Just being so close to Burr naked body was making my heart throb, opening and closing spasmodically like a busted airlock. Not really, I said. There's no rush, and I'm curious. I tried stroking some of the tendrils and spokes coming from the front of Dot's body. Dot moaned with pleasure, but they didn't grow any bigger, because I was the wrong dar to excite them. Pheromones. Don't you want me to, uh, to man you? Dot looked from Burr naked body to the quicksuit I was still wearing. It kept Burr from seeing my lumbar region was soaked. Nope, I don't woman, but I'll man you if you want. I didn't think it was possible for Dot's eyes to get any bigger, but they did. Burr eyes were as big as my thumbs. Pilots always man, dailies always woman. That's just how it is. That's not how I play. You have openings, I have tools, and fingers. My pinky was almost too big for Dot's mouth, but I made it fit. Be sucked on it, half moaning and half gulping. I felt like I was going to implode. I was so skin crazy. I left Dot naked and flushed, thanking me through bewildered tears. No more poetry, thank God. I figured after that Dot would leave me alone. I might have an even worse reputation than before, depending on what people heard. But that could be a good thing, and maybe some of the dailies would respect me a little more when they heard I'd manned a pilot. I had to giggle myself when I thought those words. I manned a pilot. Whatever came next would totally be worth it. You did what? Idra hissed. Ye dragged me further away from the other dailies, just in case they had super hearing. We were in the noisiest canteen, with the crispiest, deep-fried bog oysters. Don't tell anyone I told you this, but those things aren't oysters. They grow on the coolant ducts. They're a kind of fungus. The canteen's walls had been bright red when we'd left the cluster, but by now they were maroon, and the floors were sticky, no matter how much we mopped. You heard me. I giggled again. Normally, Idra was the giggler and I was the frowner. Oh, this was so worth it. How could you? I always knew you were unnatural, but this? You could be killed. You could be killed and nobody would ever say anything. Stop laughing, Mab. I don't know what I'd do. 
I don't want to lose you. If Dot tells anyone, if B even whispers it, they'll just erase you. I couldn't bear that, Mab. Why didn't you think about me before you went and threw everything away? It went on like that, Idra keeping your voice low enough that none of the other dailies had a clue. It was so weird. I had to go and man a pilot to find out that Idra loved me too. Love might be too strong a word, but whatever. You get the idea. Idra, calm down. B's not going to tell anyone. What's B going to say? Exactly. What is B going to say? Think about the position you put Burr in. After weeks of public courtship, you agreed to meet Burr in private. Everyone is going to want to know what happened. And B is going to say, What? That you manned Burr? That B manned you? That you rejected Burr? What? Why did things have to be so complicated? B wanted me, so I took Burr. Why wasn't that the end of it? But even as I was reassuring Idra that everything was fine, I felt another sensation, as unfamiliar as my heart's opening had been. They could erase me any time they wanted. I felt weak inside. Oh, chaste Mabarel, oh, cruel, virtuous Mabarel, that withstood temptation's nearness with your far-searing gaze, how can we praise your inviolate heart, O oh Mabarel? I was as shocked as anyone else. Apparently, I wasn't a crazy slut. I was a chaste virgin, who had cruelly denied Dot's advances, even though we were in a tiny, padded, and soundproofed tube. Though Dot importuned me, I preserved my virtue. Dot proved this by showing someone that Berthorn retained its outer membrane, which meant it had never been inside me. I didn't even know that a pilot's thorn had an outer membrane. You learn something new every day. As the story went, I had arranged the song booth meeting as an elaborate test to see if Dot could respect my chastity in such close quarters, as if Dot would have been capable of overpowering me anyway. And now that Dot had passed the test, I had agreed to hear Burr pair bonding proposal. I was grateful to Dot for coming up with an explanation of the facts that didn't require anyone to toss me into the inner axis. But proposals? The way Idra explained it, I wasn't committed to pair bonding with Dot, just hearing Bursuit. Nobody even knew how pair bonding would work between a pilot and a daily. It wasn't very likely that I'd be able to go live with Dot, and the idea of Dot trying to share my bunk in a room full of twenty dailies made me giggle. With no children and no property, it was mostly a fancy license for Dot and me to do what we'd already done in that song booth, except maybe the other way around. So this time, I had to go up to the pilot quarter, where the air is purer and the gravity lighter. Gleaming star charts on all the walls and varvet covering every surface. I had to keep ducking to avoid the little nozzles spraying perfumey crap and aromatherapy at me. I usually wore my bandana around my mouth and nose when I cleaned around here, but I figured Dot might take it as an insult. Hey, I said to Dot, thanks for coming up with a good story. You're good at that, huh? Telling stories. I have to kick myself to keep from believing the stuff you say about me, 
and I know myself pretty well. Dot started saying it was all true, and then some. Be wore even more layers than last time, if that was possible, and sat cross-legged on the edge of a massive crescent-shaped couch on the edge of a fake gravity well. You could toss things into it and watch them shrink to a singularity that it was just an illusion. Dot didn't need to wear the extra buckles, since I could hardly molest Burr with five chaperones watching us from just outside earshot. Anyway, I'm grateful to you, which is why I'm here, I said, sitting a decent distance away from Burr on the crescent thingy. Mabarel, because I love you, I want to be totally honest with you, Dot said. That sounded like a good idea, so I nodded. B went on. I told you the truth before, when I said there was no hidden agenda here. But there is something you don't know. Can you keep a secret? You have no idea how many secrets I've kept, I said. You can trust me. Don't worry. Dot had to pause to offer me chocolates and little cameos and order up fancy music. Then B went on. The spirers think they've developed a much more accurate long-range scanning technique by combining stellar resonance and high-spectrum ghosting. Be waited for me to murmur my understanding, then went on. We think it's dead. What's dead? At first, I thought B meant the little dove hen I was holding. The planet. Our colony world. Coriolanus, or whatever they're calling it this week. The breed pods won't function there. The breeders won't be able to sustain a new generation. So we left the cluster for nothing. We're sailing towards nothing. This, all of this, is all for nothing. I gestured around to indicate the whole city. Yes. Can we turn back? I already knew the answer before B shook her head, but it still felt like a crack in my gut. Be started talking about desperate alternatives, slingshot maneuvers, stellar recharges, increased dark matter efficiency, but I was still saying dead world to myself over and over. Dead world. I can't stand it among the other pilots anymore, or any of the upper dars, the spirers with all those fingers, with their base 27 cleverness. The breeders, tending those breed pods as if they're going to amount to something. It all makes me feel so hopeless. But when I'm with you, it's different. I feel alive, like life is worth something after all. I started to ask why we couldn't tell everyone the truth, but that was a stupid question, and I don't ask stupid questions. If I thought people in this city were crazy now... Just imagine if they knew they were trapped and it was pointless. Love, I muttered. Fucking love. It can't save you from shit. It's just an anesthetic. Maybe, Dot said. But it's life-saving. Mabarel, I meant everything I said before. Your beauty, your wisdom, the longing inside me. It wasn't a pantomime or a distraction from my existential crisis. It was itself. I love you, and I can't bear to be away from you. I didn't love Dot, but I liked Burr more and more. 
Even though B had left me in an ugly spot, I could turn Burr down, but then what? I could spend the next few decades among the dailies, knowing we were going nowhere. The dailies would never treat me the same after this, once I went from being the romantic heroine to being the fool who spurned a pilot. They might never let me touch them again, and I wasn't sure I could go back to being who I'd been, even if they'd let me. I took a deep breath and looked around this foolish room. I couldn't help laughing, and then I had to reassure Dot that I wasn't laughing at Burr. Sorry, sorry, it's just all this. How can you live like this? It's ridiculous. I'm used to it, I guess, Dot said. You know what they say about pilots. We are not like other people. I know everyone makes fun of us behind our backs. Yeah, but not as much as they make fun of the Spirers. I got my giggles under control and then looked into Dot's eyes, which looked like they could swallow me whole. Listen, I can't live here, but I can't go back either. Can you make me a little love nest, like in those dumb dream liminals? A little place where I can live and you can visit? Not in the daily quarter, but not here either. Dot thought about it for a moment, then started rattling off the various lavish apartments in the interstices between the city quarters where I could live in luxury. Eventually, B came up with something a bit more realistic, but still comfortable. Even if I was going to be a kept daily, I didn't want to be over the top. I guess we can give it a try, I said. Just two more things. I want my friend Idra to come live with me, so I don't go nuts with loneliness when you're not around. Ye needs your own space so ye can entertain whoever ye's madly in love with this week. And the other thing is, I won't woman to you. I can think of a few other ways to get rid of that pesky membrane on your thorn, don't worry. But I just don't like the idea of back-to-back -back sex. It's too weird. Oh, and my name is Mab, not Mabarel or anything else. Okay? It wasn't the kind of courtship Dot had had in mind, and when the minstrels sang of our pair bonding and the dream liminals recreated it, they portrayed it very differently. The quivering Dot, the beautiful, unyielding Mabarel, the hours of ardent supplication before I finally consented to turn my back on Burr and become Burmaid, all that crap. I had to bite my tongue whenever people started carrying on, but I was starting to learn that you had to leave people their romantic illusions. Ah, uh, leave people their romantic illusions indeed. It serves well as a metaphor for life, doesn't it? The story. Love is an anesthetic, a drug, to make the fact that we're all going nowhere, all going to die, a little easier in the short term. <laughs> oh dear God, I'm getting dark, aren't I? I should save that up for the Nightmare Magazine podcast. They won't judge me there. <laughs> anyway, welcome back from this great story, and this story, like the others in the podcast, are produced by Skyboat Road Company, Inc., and that's run by Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrator and producer Stefan Rudnicki. 
As mentioned before, I'm just the podcast host who voices and produces these short intros and outros. I hope you enjoyed the story. If so, and if you find the time, please go to our website at lightspeedmagazine.com and leave a comment. Just click on Fiction, find this story, and then leave a comment there. Or if you'd like to help spread the word, go to iTunes, find the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast, and leave a review or rating there. And if you haven't already subscribed to Lightspeed Magazine, please take a moment to consider it and check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. There's also other ways you can be notified of new Lightspeed content. You can subscribe to our free monthly newsletter, RSS Feed. You can follow us on Twitter, like our fan page on Facebook, or you can add us to your circles on Google+. If you visit lightspeedmagazine.com and click on this month's editorial, you'll find links to all of our social media pages. Thanks for listening. That is all for now. Cheers from all of us at Lightspeed Magazine. Lightspeed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.